Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. The White House and Republicans in Congress are in the midst of a dispute over the U.S. debt ceiling. President Biden met with Congress on Tuesday and agreed to further talks to break the deadlock. And recently, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has highlighted the urgency of this crisis by warning that if the debt ceiling is not raised, then the U.S. could run out of money to pay its obligations as soon as June 1st. So a failure to raise the debt limit in time would ultimately lead to a U.S. default. Investors have already been responding to this risk. Yields on one-month treasuries have recently jumped above yields on three-month treasuries. But the dominant narrative remains that the debt ceiling crisis will ultimately be resolved. So this week, I spoke to my colleague Matt Gertkin to get his take on what are the forces driving the standoff and the risk of default. Matt heads up BCA's U.S. Political Strategy Service. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Rakaya. Pleasure to be with you. So, Matt, let's begin with a pretty basic question. How would you explain the forces that have caused the debt ceiling standoff? Now, from the perspective of both Republicans and Democrats, what is the calculus there that's preventing Congress from raising the debt ceiling? Wouldn't a default ultimately hurt both political parties? So what's preventing them from raising the debt ceiling is the Republicans want to use the political leverage that they have. And if they if they simply give a clean increase in the debt ceiling, then they've given away an opportunity to force, you know, fiscal changes, particularly discretionary spending cuts onto the Democrats in a way of rallying their troops and demonstrating their significance uh, in a context where they're really operating out of a weak position in the House of Representatives. And let's not forget that this battle is really about the fiscal setting for the 2024 election. So Republicans want to impose a fiscal drag on the economy. Basically, you can say that about a 0.5% of GDP fiscal drag is what is in question here. President Biden doesn't want to have that drag and the Republicans want to force him to accept it. So that's the reason it can't be clean. And that's the reason why we often have debt ceiling standoffs and it's a relic of the fact that the, the laws are such that we have a budget appropriation process that's regular, but then we also have a separate process for governing the total amount of debt. Uh, while you know people can complain about that, those are the rules, and they have been that way for a long time since the World Wars, when it was determined that you could use a total debt limit, and then within that limit, the Treasury Department would have a lot more flexibility to be able to issue debt. Previously, Congress had to approve each debt issuance. In terms of the second part of your question, the main takeaway there is, well, Democrats are the ones who can lose the White House, you know, so there's an asymmetry in this situation in which Republicans can suffer in the short term from public opinion if there's a default, but they may not suffer in the end if it is, in fact, the case that the negative economic and financial impacts of a default become merged and mingled with a general slowdown in recessionary environment in the 2024 election. Bottom line is that the buck stops with the president and President Biden has to be aware of that. Now, in a scenario in which a deal is eventually reached and Congress does suspend the debt ceiling, uh, Democrats will have to agree to some concessions. Uh, The House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has already proposed the Limit, Save and Grow Act. 
Out of this proposal, what do you think are the concessions that the Democrats are most likely to agree to? And how would that impact the fiscal outlook for the U.S.? Yeah, so first, I think they will agree to concessions. And I hinted at that. Specifically, President Biden's net approval rating is a negative 10%. His net approval on the economy is a negative 20%, which could be a leading indicator. And the economy will slow down. I mean, it's expected to. And the high, tight monetary policy should ensure that. So Biden is in trouble here. And he cannot rely simply on uh, political narratives. You know, if Republicans cause a debt default and he blames them for that, the problem is that by November of 2024, they may not still be suffering for that mistake. They might, they might not. Remember that on January 6, 2021, when there was the rebellion at the Capitol, many would have predicted that Republicans would you know, have a really hard time in the aftermath. But here we are today, and they're polling equally with Democrats in the congressional ballot. President Trump is highly likely to be the nominee for Republicans. And in fact, he's even slightly beating Biden in some of the polling. So Basically, the blame game doesn't really last very long, but the impacts on the economy do last. And so Biden will likely have to compromise. And when it comes to those specific concessions, if he offers some, then the Republicans will truly look terrible if there's a default. If he offers none, then they may have some basis for blaming him in the default. And then both sides, of course, uh, suffer, but, but Biden has more to lose. So Putting that all together, the concessions that he can offer don't have to be very big because Republicans have a small majority in the House. Uh, they don't have a lot of flexibility. In fact, now they only have a two seat majority in the House because two members are now ineligible to vote. So they don't have a lot of leverage. Back in 2011, 2013, they had a 70 seat majority. So they're going to have to take whatever concessions Biden can get and call it a victory. And Biden has a few concessions I think are compelling. One is clawing back COVID relief funds that were given to the states and have not yet been spent. There's about $400 billion worth of COVID relief that is still kind of sitting on state government's balance sheets. And what's interesting about this, as we've figured it out in our research, is basically that if Biden agrees to cut this $400 billion, he gets to call himself a compromiser. Republicans get to say they saved voters money. But the state governments are going to go on a mad dash to spend as much of that as possible before the federal government takes it back. And that's good for President Biden because it's positive for the economy. So I, I think he can readily agree to that concession. And then second of all, he can agree to remove the student debt forgiveness that he's been trying to push through. That's another 400 billion roughly. That's a little tougher. It is a true concession. But remember that the Supreme Court might shoot down that debt forgiveness anyway. And in fact, some would say that the Supreme Court is highly likely to shoot that down. So maybe he better just trade it away now in order to get a debt ceiling increase. And then finally, he ad allocated $80 billion for the IRS. The tax collector is never really a very popular figure in Western civilization. I think he could cut that $80 billion down to size, maybe cut it in half. And it would be actually a small amount of savings. You know, $40 billion is, you know, not that huge compared to the size of our budget deficits. But President Biden would get it both ways. He'd be able to both inject some funds for the tax collector, but also call himself a compromiser and tell the public that he's cutting money for the tax collector. And so right there, you have roughly $840 billion that could be saved. And I think that would be the makings of a debt ceiling deal that saves Biden from a default and enables Republicans to declare victory.
Now, what would happen in an alternative scenario in which Congress fails to achieve a deal to raise the debt limit before the X date? What, in your opinion, are the odds of the scenario? And what would be the Treasury Department's course of action in the case of defaults and the implications on the economy and financial markets? Yes, well, first of all, I think the June 1st deadline that Secretary Janet Yellen has given is a faux deadline. I think the intention there, and she being a member of the executive branch, is to be precautionary and to put pressure on Republicans to concede to a deal. But in truth, everyone is waiting for mid-June to find out what the tax receipts will really bring in. And that will then give a better sense of when the X date really is, when the U.S. really might default. And so these discussions we're seeing, you know, in mid-May and in the coming weeks probably will not result in an answer. And I think financial market volatility will go up. Uh, But then if if there is a total disagreement and we end up with a default technical or not, then I think you have very serious consequences. First of all, it would be an issue of time horizon. I mean, first of all, what you'd have is I think you would get a sell off in the Treasury market. Because remember that inflation is still, core inflation is still fairly robust, and the Fed is expected to be pausing its rate hikes, which means that investors would have two reasons to sell bonds. One, they could argue that we've had a soft landing of the economy, and yet inflation has not really come down enough to the Fed's target. And two, they could say that, look, the United States is so politically dysfunctional, they don't even pay their debts. And that's pretty good reasons for certainly international investors to sell treasury. So I think that would be the outcome and yields would rise. Now, we've already seen leading up to this short term yields rising, especially for bills that would come due during this period. But I'm talking about long dated treasuries uh, even selling off in this context. But what's interesting is that this default won't last very long if it happens because Republicans and Democrats will both panic and come back and get it resolved, there'll just be enormous financial volatility. And by the way, that's one reason why it might happen, because Republicans are probably willing to trigger that kind of volatility to make Biden look bad if they think that in the end there'll be a deal anyway and that they won't come off the worst. But if that happens, then you are left with the consequences, which are higher interest rates, and that's negative for the economy. And so you have more volatility, more financial instability, and you know credit downgradings and other things that are going to basically exacerbate what is already an economy teetering on the possibility of recession with financial instability in the banking system. So combining all of these things, I think you end up with lower treasury yields because investors start to anticipate a significant slowdown in the economy and or recession. And so that's just going to be a sort of dichotomy there. And in terms of equities, I think we'd have a sell-off because of enormous uncertainty. First of all, there'd be uncertainty about how this will play out in the 2024 election and therefore future policy. Uh, Not everyone will believe my view that President Biden will suffer from a default. Some will think, well, Republicans will suffer more. And the point is, uncertainty will go up. So equities will sell off and equities will sell off because of higher bond yields and interest rates. And these are effects that I think will be felt for some time. But then once we do have the lawmakers come running back to salvage some kind of deal, then, of course, you know, the equities will bounce back. And if we're expecting an environment where the economy has not yet kind of keeled over, then you could still have a few more months of, a, of an equity rally. But I do think that on the whole, this crisis is just one signal that we're nearing the end of the business cycle because of tight monetary policy and because of the looming uncertainty over the election. And so I think it's quite likely that 
you'd have downside for equities as well as downside for bond yields. Well, thanks for joining me today, Matt. It's always great speaking to you. Thank you, Rukaya. Yes, very much appreciate it and looking forward to the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. Stay tuned for next week's episode.